You're listening to Grumpire with your hosts, Elvie and Andrew. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Grumpire Podcast. I'm Elby. And I'm Andrew. This? I'm Andrew. Wait, who are you? A- Andrew. Jemetsko. Otherwise and- known as. Andrew Jemetsko? Jemetsko. Jemetsko. Give me tacos. Mm, tacos. Hey, don't you have some uh, shtick you're going to do right now? Shtick? No, it's not a shtick. It's called t-shirt designs and stuff. Oh. Okay, so on Grumpire, my responsibilities are illustrating just about everything that needs an illustration. And some of those illustrations are actually good. Some of them aren't. But the ones that are good <laughs> go on to our tea Public shop as merchandise so go to our tea public shop in fact just go to grumpire.com and you can more than likely find links to everything from there or are at grumpire online on twitter yes. so there you go t-shirts do it well today on the show we have a special guest by the name of mike snoonian snoonian <laughs> Like that, I'm some sort good. of, uh, you know, editor behind the desk all mad at, at the writer named Snoonian. <laughs> I'm not mad at him, though, because he's a pretty good guest. <laughs> You're like J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's kind of what I was going for. That fits in. Actually, yeah, it fits in. Uh, why, though? Because Mike picked a couple of movies that are completely out of his comfort zone, he says. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because Mike is really well known in the horror movie circles as a podcast host for a couple of horror movie podcasts, including the Pod and the Pendulum and a podcast called Psychoanalysis, which they go through the various ways that horror movies explore and tackle mental health topics. And also, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Mike is really involved in the Telluride Horror Show, which is like a horror film festival that goes on in Telluride, Colorado. It's been going on for, I think, since 2010, and he's been involved for 10 years. So hmm. he's a horror guy, you know, and, and uh, here he is on our show. <laughs> completely we, not talking yeah. about anything horror. We give him the opportunity to spread his wings, so to speak. So I'm really glad and it turned out to be a really great episode. So you want to get to it? Yeah, let's hit it. Mike Snoonian. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, you're here to tell us why you don't like... Wait, what's the movie that you don't like? So we're here to say why I maybe have a less fond appreciation for Pixar's <gasps> Toy Story 3 than most. Yeah, okay, so it's it, you're being very nice to it. You're not directly <laughs> saying, I don't like. Okay, yeah, fair I'm enough. Yeah, I'm not fair that enough. person. You know, unless we're talking right, like Mandy right. or the original Suspiria, I'm not that person, typically. <laughs> Wait, you don't like the original Suspiria? I've, Hold on. I've never, side note. Side note, sidebar. Yeah. I've never gotten more than 25 minutes into it. And I think the last time, like, yeah. I gave it, like, double barrels walking out of the theater, like, this is just... <laughs> we did an episode about that especially so i think that was the first one i ever listened to of your show <laughs> you were were you cheering yeah you were, you were cheering you know, and <laughs> i um i love the remake oddly enough but that's another story well well there's another episode about yeah. that so story of toys toy Andy's going to college on June 18th. We all knew this day was coming. Come on, let's see how much we're going for on eBay. From Disney Pixar. Welcome to Sunnyside. In 3D. It's the biggest toy story ever. You got a play date with destiny. Folks, if you want to step right this way. 
Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. Toy Story 3, rated G, in Disney Digital 3D and IMAX 3D. What's your deal? So, I really enjoy the first, second, and fourth Toy Story movie a lot. I just think, like, somewhere along the line, like, it became just accepted as some sort of, like, fact that Toy Story 3 is the greatest animated movie of all time. That it's just, It made like, people cry. Yeah, it pulled at the emotional heartstrings in a way. And I think Pixar, by this time, had been able to do that through a number of their... Uh, and I think they do it even more so now with movies like... I mean, I watched the first ten minutes of Up and, yeah. you know... And I no, that's literally where you blow your tear ducts. <laughs> Absolutely, in the first ten minutes. You know, you have no soul if you right. don't die with the old lady right. who dies in that movie. Spoilers. Yeah. So that is a very I, I don't know. I felt it. I cried too, and I find it to be also manipulative and genius all mm-hmm. at once. And and Pixar be damned. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what, this that's is what I say. This is an example, <laughs> like from Screen Rant, and it's a just a quick quote. Toy Story three isn't just the best Toy Story movie. Uh, it's not, but it's one of the best <laughs> movies of the two thousand tens. It's not, what? regardless of <laughs> if it's animated or not. It's animated. It's so good <laughs> that the Academy even nominated it for best picture. Movies that make a lot of money often get nominated. Plus, it's a Disney movie, not just best animated picture. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, like, and I'm be I feel like the snarkiness in me coming out that I usually reserve for Mandy, which which is my <laughs> spiel at this point. You know, like my God, Nick Cage, like a man so talented that just squanders his talents in movie after movie. Come at me, film Twitter. I'll take you all down. Hey, hey, I'm with you on that. Yeah. If you didn't hate wrestling so much, we could be a tag team that just <laughs> took down. So, you know, it's not that I hate Toy Story 3, because it's not a bad... I mean, all the Toy Story movies are enjoyable. I, I really love the fourth movie, because it's just fun. It's just doesn't Haven't try to be... Haven't seen it yet. It's, it's a good time. Um, I would say it's a very good time. It's I remember doing a double feature of that in the Child's Play remake on the same day. <laughs> one day during the summer just because i had a lot of time to kill and um you know it's a good four or five hours at the theaters you know i i would recommend both of those maybe even a mishmash of them i don't know (laughs) but i feel with like toy story 3 like a lot of the themes that they and i do feel like it's, it's emotionally manipulative there's the moment when the toys are in like the furnace yeah and it looks like it's gonna be and i'm sorry like i know how commerce works like there is absolutely zero chance that like the frozen husk of like walt disney's severed head that's somewhere in cryogenics like there's no way that he's going to allow his cash cow to become like end with him in like melted (laughs) hunks of plastic do you know what i mean like it's such a manipulative like there's no stakes when it comes yeah you're right there are no stakes in that scene no, I do love how the, uh, you see on the, all of their faces that they've like accepted their fate, though. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the <laughs> only thing that's interesting to me. But yeah, you're right. It's very Kierkegaardian yeah. at that point. It's very <laughs> much like they've come to accept what their purpose is in the universe. And... <laughs> yeah, but I feel also like 
I just watched this movie when I watched Toy Story 2. And I did a rewatch of both. And part of it is like Toy Story gets in and out in under 90 minutes. God love it. There is no need for a movie theoretically made for children to ever be more than 90 minutes <laughs> long. Where like Toy Story 3, now you're inching towards two-hour territory and you're just trying to test our patience as parents at that point. <laughs> but I just feel like thematically, a lot of the beats that Toy Story 3 hits were already done in toy story 2 like this idea that eventually and i think maybe at toy story 3 watching it this time hit a little bit more as a parent of a child that's quickly approaching teenagedom quicker than i i look at the past 11 years and i'm like where did they go and this idea that eventually that things get left behind like as a parent i often feel like my you know my daughter doesn't need me as much as she used to she's a which is good i mean like you don't want to have to hold the handrails forever you want them to be smart and fierce and independent but there are also times where you know i miss my buddy Mm -hmm. you know so i think maybe like that movie it's actually on this rewatch hit a little bit but i felt like a lot of those themes were hit in the second movie Mm -hmm. and i thought they were done like much better in toy story 2 which is probably my favorite of the four movies we did rewatch mm-hmm. two and three. LB, mm-hmm. I think, saw them for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I've never seen any of them. Um, mm-hmm. You're saying that the toys are taking on the role of parents. I don't necessarily think they're taking on the role of parents, but I was just thinking more like one of the themes of, I think, two and three are this idea that everything has a shelf life mm-hmm. and everything is eventually left behind yeah. to a certain degree. And, you know, feeling that sometimes is like a parent feeling like, and it's in in a lot of ways it's a really wonderful thing that your child is uh well my child because you know um she's my kid um (laughs) is at least that's what i've been told i don't know it looks a lot like my best friend but that's another story (laughs) but it's just eventually you're she can do a lot more on her own and she's like this really and sometimes like it feels like if her hair was on fire she would still tell me that everything is fine Mm -hmm. and you know i don't know that's why i think it kind of hit a little bit this time around so did you have uh toy toys that you recall really that the immediate turnaround from I love this thing. Wait, no, get that thing away from me when you were a tween or whatever. Trying to think because I grew up in the 80s and that was one of the it was probably the best era for toys between like G.I. Joe, Star Wars figures, probably Star Wars figures. Because I remember from a very young age, like having like the Death Star, the Darth Vader giant head that you could put and collect the figures in and kind of use it as a carrying case. And I had like a lot of the sets and a lot of the action figures and probably after like first grade like all of the sudden i just stopped using them Hmm. same thing like i had the original lgn wrestling figures and i remember like i really wanted they were these hard molded kind of rubbery right didn't i remember those yeah yeah all of the paint came off super easy yeah it sucked did you like like andre the giant was that your big one to get i had hogan and i had the iron sheik because i wanted a good guy and a bad guy okay Uh, 
um, and Andre would not have had his like WrestleMania three heel turn by that point. He would still would have been a good guy. So, I remember like I brought them to school with me in fifth grade, and they were immediately taken away because mm-hmm. I was using them during like math class. <laughs> and my and They're my helpful. dad, yeah, they, you can you know, count with their limbs. You what? can count to three. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if they're outside of the ring, you can count to 10. <laughs> so to me, they should have been really helpful. But I remember my dad, because my dad was a real stickler for education and school, and he threw them out. And I just never, ever got new ones. You know what I mean? I could have easily gotten new ones at some point, but I just never did again. Hmm. Even though I still, like, love wrestling. Yeah. So I would say, like, those are the, part of the Star Wars figures and, like, the wrestling toys were the first ones to go. What about you? No, I mean, most of my toys were just like plush, like stuffed animals type things. And you still get and them. And I still get them. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I played with Barbies. There was a point where uh, I, I always made Barbies soap operas. Like, I, I always, that was my mm-hmm. thing, was I was just made soap operas. But there was a point where I started listening to like alternative music where mm-hmm. I realized, like, what I started doing is I started making my Barbies like pretend that they were performing the music so would you like dress them up like Susie and the Banshee and like 10,000 maniacs like would you um I mean I guess you know I had the the gym dolls too so like they were kind of pre-made that way it was especially mm-hmm. the misfits so there was this progression from like girly soap opera things to like now they're going to be rockers so I, I think maybe that's that's when I eventually was just like I don't really need these dolls I can just listen to music yeah and be the rocker girl and yourself be... <laughs> right mine was Garfield. Yeah, um, yeah. I, was, I wasn't I was into the cartoon, but I was into the little books, the, you know, the long, short books. I, yeah. I was into the books, and I had a few. I had Nermal, and I had a Garfield doll. And I was like, I liked Garfield. I liked how he looked. I, li- I liked the comic strip, but then there was like a turn when I was like 13 or something when I discovered what comedy really was, and it was either through Monty Python or something similar. And then I looked at the comic strip and I was like, "This isn't, this isn't funny." And I kept flipping through, and I was like, "This, none of this is, none of this is funny." What? And I felt betrayed. But then there was one that was sublime and funny. It was just Garfield and Odie looking at the ceiling, and John walks up, looks at the ceiling, and then they walk off. And that's the joke. Huh. And I thought, and I still do think that that's kind of funny. Right. But animals uh, do that you, all the time. Did you move on to, like, I don't know, like right around this time, like the far side, like Gary yes, Larson's yes, far side? Yes, yes, would have been, absolutely. Did you, like, transition from Garfield to that? Yes. <laughs> you got it. Predictable. Yeah. And I feel that still holds up. Yeah, no, the gar- like, the, at... those are good. Like, cow tools? Best ever. <laughs> yeah best ever so confusing because one looks kind of like a saw but and then all these doctors are like what the heck is cow tools (laughs) it's amazing it's amazing so yeah that's around the same time yeah so garfield was mine and i to this day don't really like garfield to this day you hate orange tabby i know actually ah that's not true there are some strays outside or ferals that outside that absolutely adore me and i adore them Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll rescue one soon i don't know but it's possible there's an orange cat that comes to our back sliding door and watches us like we're tv <laughs> and we keep feeding him yep. and we're not sure we think he might have an owner mm-hmm. well that's entirely at possible at the same time yeah but at the same time he just keeps coming every day for his kibble yep mm-hmm. yeah garfield that was mine 
But uh, there's no movie mm. with Garfield toys trying to uh, fend off this big convoluted conveyor belt system thing that will never and does never and won't ever exist. Uh, uh, the, but the only ba- exists the for thing? the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not. Well, yes, the luggage. Well, the magnet system that they have oh, yeah. to pull up all the metal stuff. I don't see that as actually being a real thing. It's only a made up thing. The luggage thing, yes, that's ridiculous as well. Which movie was the luggage thing in? Though? That was that was two. Second right? one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that one. So again, same thing. You have a conveyor belt. Yeah. You know, except this one is to an incinerator. <laughs> so recycling the same gags. I also think like the third movie, like a big part of it is like Ken and Barbie are introduced, and part of the charm of the first two Toy Story movies is like the toys are pretty generic. Like outside of Mr. Potato Head, mm-hmm. you know, they're like the little army figurines. There's like a Slinky dog there's like a piggy bank there's a dinosaur toy and i think all of a sudden by the third movie like you're getting into a lot more branding right and that to me is just like and again again, like toy story it's a perfectly fine movie like it's a good movie uh it's by no means like a dumpster fire of a film (laughs) but i i think like we need to like pump the brakes a little bit about it being like the greatest movie of the 2010s (laughs) like that is just Mm. you know there are a lot of my goodness like you just gotta slow down a little bit being nominated for best animated film like seriously like every time pixar puts out a film it's nominated for best animated film so so like what like that is not even a credential mm -hmm. at this point you know i think the best picture the best picture nomination is what stands out in i think by that point like after the dark knight didn't get nominated for best picture there was such an outcry about that that all of a sudden it became you know eh, for a bit for a while the oscar committee was like we have to add some populist titles in there or they're gonna come for our heads and put them on spikes nerds bunch of of geeks and nerds ruining everything actually i don't like the oscars i don't like people's choice and i don't like the oscar and so there's a thing about the pixar movies in general i think and you're a dad here Mm -hmm. things that are meant to appeal to the adults toys popping boners like is that appropriate to you like when you you're watching it you're like oh i i need my children's film to have a dick joke in it i mean i am one that i will never shy away from a good dick joke so i don't mind that i'm the dad that listens to like the it audiobook with my daughter riding in the back seat <laughs> okay and it was a moment of when like ben hanscom is like noticing a young librarian's like underwear <laughs> and our, my friends over at the losers club call that like stephen king's pound cake when he writes about sex in a really awkward way <laughs> and my daughter just like chirps in she's like this is really awkward like stephen king writes some we i'm like why did he write this i'm like stephen king has this I go hun number one he did a lot of cocaine when he I'm, I'm glad you said that because it makes you do some things right and here's my controversial Stephen King opinion cocaine Stephen King so much more enjoyable <laughs> his books were so much better when he was like his black beard was like covered in white stuff <laughs> his books were just uh, way better so well, you, I guess you, you know, can say that about a lot of uh, the 80s because that was a big recreational drug but him in particular but like it's in movies in the you, 80s in general s- like the crazier mm-hmm. they are it's usually because they're just 
doing coke. And then yeah. they translate that like, wait, how did this? I didn't even him when he directed his movie. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I don't oh, remember yeah. directing this. Yes. So you know, I'd just go back and watch the teaser when he is blazed out of his mind. <laughs> yep. um, King done but then right. my daughter was like, <laughs> yeah, my daughter was like, is it the book where like the girl has sex with a lot of of the boys? <laughs> yep. so I'm like, yep. She's like, weren't they in like sixth grade? I'm like, yep. She's like, what was he thinking? And I'm like, again, honey, cocaine. It's a hell of a drug. So I'm that dad. So like, you know, I don't mind the inappropriate. I mean, I I don't know. Like, I don't even remember the. Uh, it's in two. It's in the, in the second movie movies. when Jesse is introduced to um mm-hmm. to uh buzz buzz, buzz Lightyear's Lightyear. wings pop up she okay. does some sort well, of stunt and he's like boner you know <laughs> i don't think yeah i don't think most kids are gonna get that that's a boner joke no I, I know like, that they it, won't you know get I mean? it but it, it, why is it's really for the parents so because the parents are all pervs what yeah you know, i can't speak for all parents but <laughs> yes, I am, so. So, all, right, know, all right um i didn't really t- i guess like maybe it just went over my head at that point you know yeah we we noticed anytime there was because we're kind of too (laughs) <laughs> we don't have kids but, but but we noticed just about all the i mean i didn't write them down but at the time as we were watching we we're like boners like that's a that's for the adults mm-hmm. right there and, and i just noticed that a lot in pixar movies that there's a, a lot of these are this is my friend ron goes on oh no no it's it's actually an, a very an adult film because <laughs> because it has all the subtext not. or or the not subtext but like jokes for adults in it and like yeah that's yeah, there because the parents are going to be bored otherwise but is yeah, that right. true? Are they going to be bored? No, I, I think, you know, without that, they're they're perfectly enjoyable. Like, and some of them are legit great movies, like the first Expendables movie. Wait. Up, uh, Inside Out. Wait, like, wait, you said Expendables, and I love it. Movies. You just said Expendables. The Incredibles. <laughs> yes. Pixar <laughs> is Expendables. Yes. <laughs> Such carnage. Amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. It would be small soldiers. It would be small soldiers. Small Joe Dodson. <laughs> but like really yes. gory. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'm sorry. The Incredibles <laughs> Inside Out. I thought Soul was fantastic. I really enjoyed Soul actually kept me up at night because of my own fear mm. of mortality. Like it definitely kept me up like for many hours after in moments of existential terror. So, you know, whenever a kid's movie can do that to you, I mean, you really have to tip your cap to it. I feel like that one's more of an adult I, movie, though, actually. Like, uh, like well, I don't, I don't yeah, really, I wouldn't I classify it as a kid's movie. It does have body swapping with yeah. the cat, which I think <laughs> is... The kid moment. But in, what, in and out Inside Out? Yeah. Inside Out. in and out is a yeah. totally different movie. It's just... it's, yes, in and out is a much different yeah. movie, yeah. Inside Out is the one that's definitely a kid's film, but it also follows similar themes of, like, Soul has the search and the... the anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. I think they do rehash a yeah. lot. But mm-hmm. is there more thematically that you want to discuss about Toy Story 3? No, I'll just a couple little things with it is number one, when you look at the like the jump in animation from the first movie to the second movie, it is such a staggering leap yes. forward in terms of like the textures, in terms of the movement, in terms of the expressiveness. Agreed. And it is like it's just like I think it was the only the third 
Pixar movie, like sandwiched, uh, like a bug's life is sandwiched there as well. And then a decade later with Toy Story 3, you have, no, I mean, it looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's still, a, it's a beautiful looking movie, but there's not that great leap forward that I would kind of expect with like mm-hmm. a decade more of stuff I'll tell you what it. is the leap um, forward. It's just the human character mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. That's the big leap forward. Sure. I mean, I, I'm a stickler okay. on, because uh, I illustrate, I'm an illustrator. Um, mm-hmm. the, I'm a stickler when I see character designs, especially Pixar stuff, and they try to do humans, especially early on. They're atrocious. Mm-hmm. They look hideous. People in France mm-hmm. at the same time with their, I forget what their their animation studio school, Goblin, I think, mm-hmm. they were doing amazing character designs at the same time as Pixar was coming up. All that. And Americans yeah. get these ugly things. Ugly for the longest time. And Toy Story 3 does have the better looking character designs for the at least the children's faces. That's mm-hmm. okay. a, a huge step up. But you said it's 10 years, right? Yeah. They should be by then, <laughs> you know? Right. But I thought like the toys themselves, there wasn't enough of a jump mm-hmm. forward. And I think too, like just in terms of the characters, like Woody is a dink in Toy Story 3. <laughs> I mean, he's like this obsession with being all of them belong to Andy and like the fate of, you know, until he has that like revelation at the end, like maybe all the toys would be happier if they were in like another kid's home being played with. He's trying to convince them to stay in a garbage sack and molder away (laughs) in the attic. And what a horrible fate. Like Woody is like, I mean, I could see like Woody rushing a frat when Andy gets to school. (laughs) You know, I could see him. Maybe he takes some film class classes maybe he becomes a poli like i think like woody would have a pretty good collegiate he's gonna like he's gonna discover sergio leone and spaghetti westerns and he's gonna be like what what was i doing like stopping the (laughs) mine shaft from collapsing there's a snake in my boot we'll take off your boots dude you keep saying there's a snake i i I will tell you i really appreciate the little snake in my boot gag the the toy Mm -hmm. where he presses it down and it shoots this little rubber snake out that's cute i was amused by that (laughs) But that's the previous movie. Anyway, I ex- exactly like all the things that you've said you've loved so far from <laughs> Toy Story 2. So I, I just think that like he what he's trying to convince like his friends like these are his friends that he purports to care about. And he's like, go live in a moldering sack mm-hmm. in a hot attic and never get touched again. That sounds like audition. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like, you know, the dude who lives in the yeah. sack an audition. And what a horrible thing to resign. Oh, oh I, I pointed to. out that it was yeah. actually the sack was beginning of the latest iteration of the grudge i was like oh that's what's in the sack okay. in front of yeah. the japanese house that's because like it just billows and so, looks gross and then mm-hmm. oh it's just a bunch of mm-hmm. like kaiju toys <laughs> yeah I, I will say i'm glad we get three movies with don rickles yeah. giving voice to mr potato head i love don rickles so much i just adore him my wife just asked me like just literally asked before we went on air like if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead who would it be and i gave her and i said stone cold steve austin because that would be definitely one of them but i honestly think it would probably like thinking now like it would be don rickles i just find him yeah. so hilarious the man was just golden so every now and then when i'm re 
really feeling down and out, I just search like on YouTube, like Don Rickles routines, like, like him on, on Carson. And it, oh my God, he was just perfect. <laughs> and it never, ever fails. It never fails cheer, to cheer you up. Never yeah. fails to cheer me up. Like him tearing into Scorsese and De Niro at like the roast of Scorsese is just, <laughs> just wonderful, wonderful. Because he would rip you to your face, but do it in such a way that didn't make you feel like you were getting made fun of, yeah. like you were in on the joke. And that's a really hard, it's a really hard, it wasn't yeah. mean-spirited. So One of a kind, so, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So my, my problem with Toy Story 3 is for throughout the movie, I just got really mad because the whole mm-hmm. time... Like you were saying about how Woody's just encouraging his his friends to like stay with Andy because they belong to Andy. And then like, you know, Andy doesn't want to get rid of his toys because they have feelings. (laughs) And, you know, well, he doesn't know that. But Mm. anyway, what I don't like about it is it's teaching kids to be hoarders (laughs) because they don't want to give their toys away because they have feelings you know like oh no i can't i have to keep them i have to keep them forever or they'll mm-hmm. feel bad <laughs> you know but by the end of yeah. the movie because of how it ends up with andy giving all the toys to the little girl bonnie and they have that moment mm-hmm. and like that's that part made me cry like i am it did <laughs> Yeah. It's a good um, moment, yeah. That sort of, like, redeemed the movie for me, like, as far as, like, that goes. Because, like, mm-hmm. I just don't really like collector mentality. I mean, it's fine if you want to have things. I mean, everybody has things, you know? Like, we all have things we like that we want to have around us that make us happy. And that's great. But, like, the empty buying of things or the empty hoarding of things yeah. is is really something that I find very unattractive and... and uh, yeah so i spent a lot of toy story 3 just being like what are they doing (laughs) but but yeah by the end i came around yeah it's definitely it definitely felt like an odd hill for andy to kind of die on like how dare you throw away my toys from when i was seven like most 17 year olds like they're not thinking about their toys from when they were and you know i maybe i you know maybe i'm wrong because like i'll tell you there is a store near us the land of electronics there's two branches and this one of them that's a little bit more of a drive about 15 minutes from here you walk into it and it's like a 1980s early 1990s mm. toy store it's KB. like walking back yeah. into my childhood and i have not spent like a ton of money there um i just like to go in and i'll usually buy stuff from the dollar bin because i use them i use the action figures for like mm. play therapy okay. with children so i'll buy like 10 things from the dollar bin but i'll like look at all the old he-man and star wars and trans Transformers, and it does transport me back to like a very simpler time. But it's like a museum, right? Yeah, it's in some ways it's like a museum, and there's a warm and fuzzy thing that comes with it. But you're right, like it's part of what I hate about Mondo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate that Mondo does this thing where like you have we'll send a random tweet out in the middle of the day, and we're only gonna make 250 of these things, mm-hmm. and the 235 of the people that purchase them immediately. It's like an investment. It becomes like speculation as opposed to what other companies do where you're like, we have 24 hours. If you want it, we'll make that many. Mm -hmm. You know, and they do that with their vinyl. They do it with their posters. And there's something like really cynical about nostalgia collecting that it drives me up the wall. Like, I really hate that. So yeah, Yeah. people just go into debt for no reason. Like they just have their credit credit cards ready for these drops. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, why? Like, what is? what does it really give to you yep 
Yeah. Yep. I see it so much, like mutuals on Twitter that are like, I have next to nothing in my bank account, but, you know, I dropped X amount on these, like, special release Blu-rays yeah. today. And look, if you can do it and not put your family in any sort of dire straits, mm-hmm. then... Uh, no judgment here but i just see that happen so often where like the next thing they say is like we're out of food yeah like i have a gofundme for my rent this month yeah no to me there's like there's just something insidious about that Mm -hmm. kind of culture that i i really don't like but i really but look at it from the perspective of the toys like the (laughs) the uh the discarded or the one that doesn't even get bought the purchased one the kelsey grammar character yeah the prospector kelsey in the prospect yeah stinky pete stinky pete Pete. he's not even bought he's left on the shelf think about him he needs to be purchased by these guys and then the sequel has a character who's accidentally left but thinks that he's discarded which is even worse which is Mm. even worse than not even being purchased i guess Mm -hmm. and then replaced by one identical toy Oh no, so then he, in bad faith, why write a character who has such bad faith about everything, but pretends that he has Mm -hmm. the best faith about everything? It seems fake. Yeah, yeah. and the whole second movie, the whole plot of the second movie is like how valuable Mm -hmm. Woody Mm -hmm. is, like being like this special edition, and you know, the the other toys don't have any value unless he's part of it. And, you know, I think that like, you know, but I think Kelsey Grammer is so good as Stinky Pink Pete. I really love him in that role. And like, I love Ned Beatty's voice work in I did. Toy Story I did. 3. I love that kind of syrupy southern. What's his name, LB? The guy who I think would have been better, but he, I think he's dead. The, the dad, yeah, the in, dad Gremlins. in Gremlins. Yeah, I see it. See, that's I what totally I that's, that's what I was kind of expecting. Would have been hard to voice it from yeah. Beyond the Grave. I'm going to give you that. that would <laughs> sure, have been, yes. And let's put it this way. If that happened, I would have definitely said Toy Story 3 is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they picture. did get the voice of one of the pharaohs recently, so it's... it's it's not oh that's right yeah, yeah it's not too i think far. in general it's it's funny you bring up reblins because i think like what my biggest issue i think with maybe children's movies in general compared to again this is definitely listeners old man yelling at a cloud right now so take it for what it is but there's like a dearth of entertainment for children that is not animated and that is not like lowest common denominator growing up in the 80s you had the indiana jones movies you had goonies you had gremlins you had et you had these and you had a lot of great animated films as well but you had like these live at you had friday the 13th part (laughs) no come on you know (laughs) but you have like all of these cloak and dagger is a a good example cloak and dagger that's an that's an action movie with the kid spies people actually dying mm -hmm. around the kid bullets whizzing by him he's holding a gun in the the movie like they won't allow a kid to hold a gun in a movie now. No, like these things are like all taboo, but there's like a dearth of really smart, made for kids, live action movies. Like, the, you know, the Amblin vibe, which is like what movies like Super 8 were trying mm-hmm. to emulate, what Stranger Things tries to emulate. And the problem with those is, and I do enjoy both of those a lot, the problem is they're made for me is like a 40-something adult male that looks back right. on those times mm-hmm. really fondly, as opposed to like, where are the movies? You know, I would say maybe 
like Lock and Key, which came out on Netflix, was mostly you could be like a tweener and kind of like watch that and get some spooks and chills from it. But at the same time, it still had some appeal for adults. As I well. think I think the um, clock in the walls, House with the Clock in the Walls, was a good one. Yeah, and is that the one that Eli yes, Roth directed? Yeah, yes, of all things, so probably his best movie. He it's should just stick movie, to yeah. making kids movies. Yeah. Funny story about that is like we took our daughter to it and we were all into it. We were it was like a Friday afternoon, like just get out of school, like let's go to a movie. This looks fun. We bought her like way too big of a popcorn and she was digging the movie and then at like the start of act three she's like my stomach oh, no. hurts. So we go to take her to the bathroom oh. and she vomits a large popcorn oh. everywhere in our little mon pa cinema and we just hide we still have not seen the end of that movie. It's because pretty like, great, yeah. dude. It's it like, is a great he the really first two understood what he needed to do and he was doing what we're, yeah. we're lamenting is not there. Like because mm-hmm. because the reason why as adults we're lamenting that these children's movies don't exist anymore is because when we watch them as kids and now as adults we're watching for them from two different perspectives mm-hmm. as a kid yeah. you don't understand all the nuance and everything and all the details yeah. the real details going on in it like cloak and dagger we don't really understand what the heck cloak and dagger even mm-hmm. is but yeah. now as adults we're like oh oh this is cold war oh this is mm-hmm. real like there's actual real foundational stuff going on right. that as adults we pick up on i mean as a five-year-old i went to see flash gordon i had an uncle like my uncle ev who is no longer with us is probably the person responsible for like developing my love for movies like every Christmas Eve he took all of his nieces and nephews to the movies so the parents could like set up for Christmas Eve parties I used to go to his house to visit uh, on Friday afternoons like he would watch us and at a way too young of an age he allowed us to watch like The Shining and Halloween 3 (laughs) he was the first person to have like a video cassette player but I remember like 1980 Christmas Eve we went to see Flash Gordon and there is like in a PG movie made for kids, a straight up like S and M scene <laughs> in that movie, and which you know, God love Princess Aura in that <laughs> movie, like definitely responsible for some weird feelings for a five year old, and you could not do that now. Like it's there's no risk taking in any children's. Inter- I mean, part of it is because like three companies own everything at this point, right. so there's almost like no risk taking. What everything is a brand, everything is corporatized, everything is super sanitized. Well, I think that's what they were trying to do with Toy Story 3 by having them be threatened to be burned, but mm-hmm. one of them should have been burnt. They should have Joss Whedon yeah. something, somebody, uh, like, I don't know. They should have, you no know. No one should do sh- Joss Whedon anything right now. <laughs> they should have burned, no, I just please. use that for shorthand for killing a beloved character. Yes. They should have burned half, the, the lower half of Slinky Dog. Oh, oh that would be great. <laughs> Poor Slinky Dog. He would have been oh, like, be I'm great. okay, I'm not okay, where's, I'm, uh, you know, because he's yeah. half a dog. Slinky right? Dog saying, I'm a leaf in the wind and then just gets immolated by... just half of them just the oh. half of them then he gets the rest of them gets pulled out oh. and then the rest oh, of the movie yeah. he's like kind of like just dragging the slinky behind mm-hmm. him yeah right i mean so. at least some real danger but i think that's what they were trying to do but you're right because mm-hmm. they're it's their big brand it's like you're not gonna kill mickey right. mouse you know no so no i feel like in kids movies in like the 80s like kids are in real danger like kids did die yeah. in some of those characters like died in some of those movies 
movies. Like it felt like there was more that was on the table yeah. back then. So I don't know. Like it's just, and again, this is definitely old man yelling at a cloud right now. That, and I don't know why, but like at some point we decided like our kids need to be encased in this like absolute bubble yeah. and can never be exposed to anything. Which is funny because like I was talking to like an eighth grader because I work as a counselor in a K through eight school, and I was talking to this kid because we were watching Naruto, and there's this like scene in it, and the principal's back was turned, and there's definitely a naked woman with like strategically placed mist over her bits, and we're looking at one another, and I'm like, please don't turn around. The principal will lose her mind if she turns around right now. And luckily she did it. But I look at the kid, I'm like, so you yeah, Netflix. He's like, Yep, and all that. I'm like, do you just get to watch like rated R movies whenever he's like, Yep. And I'm like, I gotta tell you, dude, you're missing out. You're definitely missing out on a time when like you would have to wait till your parents went to bed and sneak downstairs and turn on like cable really quietly <laughs> to watch an R-rated movie or you would like bike with your friends to the Mon Pa video store not Blockbuster Mon Pa video store if you have nostalgia for Blockbuster that's okay too no it's yeah. not okay and, it's like, not okay it's, it's <laughs> no I know why it's some, okay I know why it's okay it's because it's the only thing that some was, people that's, that's all they had, had. Yes. that's yeah. all they had oh, you can't fault yeah. them you had to bike to the video store and you hope you had the clerk that didn't care what you rented and then you would like go to the horror section and rent like Faces of Death was the one we rented over and over again which because we thought that was like the most extreme movie in the world Terrible. and you thought you were pulling one over on people you know and now it's just like you just kind of scroll through your screen and you're like rated R great click Oh, a kid's profile can't watch it. I'll just click to mom and dad's <laughs> profile. There's something that's missing in that. And again, old dude right here. And by the time I'm 70, movies will be de- beamed directly into our <laughs> brains. But it's just, I don't know. There's just something about that yeah. error that it just, you know, there's something great about it. Yeah. In, any other gripes about Toy Story 3 before we move on? It's too long. <laughs> Tim Allen can eat it. Like, I never liked Buzz Lightyear. Even before Tim Allen was like, you know, we knew him as a mega chud. I just never All you liked. gotta do is just well, imagine him being... George, George Clooney. Clooney. Then, I swear to God, I thought that Buzz was George Clooney. Like I, I like have this Mandela effect thing going on with Buzz Lightyear because I swear it was George Clooney. Mm-hmm. It's never been, but it looks but, yeah, it he looks does. Like it. You're right. <laughs> Failed opportunity to have George Clooney play the second Buzz Lightyear with the belt. Failed yeah. opportunity so that they could play mm-hmm. off each other and sound similar yeah. and be different enough. Yeah. Anyway, so again, it's an entertaining movie. It's by no means terrible like honestly outside of like the good dinosaur there are no outright terrible onward Pixar movies as someone that lost their dad at 19 it's beautifully designed but I understand what you have now that you say that yeah it hit me in a good spot that one definitely left me and I could see where people don't and and again like people have different things I thought Incredibles 2 was a bit of a letdown but that's because the first one is so so good but there are no like outright terrible outside of maybe like a good dinosaur um that was the only one where i'm like it didn't feel like a pixar movie so it's like not that toy story 3 is a bad movie it's entertaining but like this whole like it's the greatest and i think like when av club just did their thing on they have a a fantastic uh bi-weekly column like about blockbuster movies like in the year by year they go by what was the number one box office hit that Mm -hmm. year when they got to avatar they talk about toy story 3 as one of the runner-ups and just casually throw out like how it's the greatest animated movie of all time and it's like no it's not it's really it's no, not no, um, 
It's not even as good as the second movie. And it's not even, to me, it's like just outside of like the top tier of Pixar movies. Fair enough. Uh, so next on your uh, list, wait, uh, which hey, is of Andrew, two. What? An- Andrew. Yes. You're forgetting again. Okay. It's a bit, so I didn't, but go ahead. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Every time we do this, I have to explain to you like what I'm doing is it's like you just you have no idea what I'm doing every time. It's crazy. No, I understand. It's okay. a bit. Go. Explain to the guest. So who's Mike, never heard the show. <laughs> right. Mike, um, I was at my parents' house like not too long ago. And uh, you know how yeah I love this. You know bit. how well this actually fits in with Toy Story a little bit because you know, mm-hmm. your parents always have this box of crap that was yours when you were growing up or when you know when you're a teenager or whatever there's this just this stuff that like you left behind but they don't really know what to do with so they put it in a storage box in the attic or out in the garage or whatever so i was going through that box when i was at my parents house and i found this old book of poetry that i wrote in high school and i guess you know i was really proud of it at the time but like going back and reading it it's it's all pretty terrible you know high school girl poetry but but strangely mm-hmm. prescient usually yeah, usually yeah, very prescient because what's weird is like i totally have have these this this poem well actually there's two of them that i wrote about a couple of the toy story characters which is just hmm. just you tell well i guess like you know what toy story 2 came out in 1999 i guess it could be related it could be contemporary, but I don't know. Anyway, but th- this apparently was like while I was studying limericks in English class because there's a couple of limericks here on this pad. So let me go here. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? I'm ready. All right. First one is... I can read. Okay. There once was an astronaut named Buzz. He became addicted to drugs. He met a junkie named Stripe. They fought and Buzz broke his pipe. And now he's on the run from the fuzz. What? Yeah. That's like also gremlins, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess so. Stripe Stripe is a gremlin. Is a a gremlin. (laughs) Do you think that Stripe would be addicted to drugs? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I think he would be pushing drugs. Mm. I don't know if he'd be addicted. I think he would be like the dude that would be like, your first hit is free. But after that, you have to... Yeah. There are plenty of other Cokes Norton, yeah. you know, <laughs> gremlins yeah. out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's here's the other one. Um, there once was a cowboy named Woody. Spent all his life being a goody. <laughs> Booga. <laughs> He's like, me? Excuse me, A goody? Bark, bark, bark. Oh my God. Okay, one more time. There once was a cowboy named Woody. Spent all his life being a goody. Till he met Jesse the redhead and she invited him to her bed. After that, he couldn't get enough pussy. What the? F- what? Dude. What? 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 Oh my. What? Huh. Yeah. I'm I'm over is it is it appropriate for a dick joke? <laughs> and then there you go. I wrote some dirty Jeez. limericks about Toy Story characters. Interesting. Yeah. So it definitely took me like three of your episodes to understand <laughs> that that was a bit. Like I definitely thought like, oh, she actually has oh. this poetry. And then after the third one, I'm like, wait a minute. This is a little bit too convenient. <laughs> I think you're pulling a fast one on me here, so... Thank you. <laughs> so, Mike, so, what is your alternate <laughs> film? What's the three so, that you do like? So, the three that I like, the one that I think doesn't get enough appreciation, is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Still got the moves. The suit. Where'd this come from? Spidey, love the new outfit. You knew this was coming, Pete. Hate those things. Adventure. Arrives. Wow. 
nerd. It's pretty universally accepted that like the second movie is the best of his three movies and three is kind of a cluster beep of a movie. <laughs> yeah. And it is overstuffed and there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes with it. Right now with my other shows, like we've covered Sam Raimi's like Evil Dead films for our patrons. We've done Drag Me to Hell and I'm just like on a Sam Raimi kick and I just rewatched this movie again for this episode, Spider-Man 3. I love this movie i love how it embraces its geekiness i love how it embraces its comic book roots i love how it's just not afraid to be a complete nerd fest and also be kind of low stakes in a way that like this is like the real flashpoint like after this movie the next year you have iron man in the dark knight both hit and comic book movies really are never going to be the same again Hmm. Yeah. We did a crash of the second and third one. We didn't have to do the first one. Mm -hmm. All I did was show her on the first one was his puberty scene yeah. so that she gets grounding like for how, ooh, he's skinny. Ooh, he's buff. Ooh, he squirts his webbing all over the he's place ripped. because in, in they try <laughs> to make it seem like he's jerking off or something. So that would be, yeah, that would be your, you know, sexual yeah. euphemisms it, in the kids' movies. But that, basically. that didn't that even really land in that. Yeah. They tried to, but I think they didn't want to be so super obvious. So it, it was just weird. Mm -hmm. But anyway, a shoot of those scenes. But we saw the second mm -hmm. one, which I do believe has some of the better camera work. I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. the tentacles being burnt onto him and not being able to be taken off and they fight all the doctors scene that's very mm. sam raimi perfect sequence oh yeah i mean it's straight yeah. out of <laughs> evil dead too like the it was just one i mean yeah. that's your and then wonderful. there's the the gathering around uh the train where they're all like so really supporting peter parker as spider-man that's mm -hmm. a really beautiful this is the moment scene mm -hmm. in the third one i think there's that scene where this is the moment but i i don't quite remember it i just really remember most of the silly stuff there's a moment in the first one where like they're on a bridge and they start pelting right. like green goblin yeah. with rocks like yeah. all the onlookers do and in this third movie it's like spider-man's embraced as a hero by yes. the city of new york so there might i don't think there's any one scene where they kind of there's like they're all gathered around when spider-man is fighting venom and sandman at the end and there's a crowd yeah. kind of cheering him on but uh, in the third movie, like Spider-Man is very much like he's embraced when he kisses by the Gwen, and the little kid's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I That's love amazing. that. That yep. was my, uh, we we were both like, "Don't do it." Yeah, we were that little kid, right? But I think like what's great is that's a callback to like the first movie and like Spider-Man kissing Mary Jane. Like it's a really iconic moment from the first movie, and it really hits because you can see like how far that like Peter Parker is kind of like buying yeah. into his own hype at that moment where he thinks it would be okay to kind of recreate that moment in front of his right. girlfriend who he knows is there like that is you know and if that's their kink that would be really cool mm -hmm. like no kink shaming and the fact of mary jane and spider-man it's that's obviously their thing, not. great but it's i think not... it becomes really clear it's very yeah, much apparently right. not her thing. It's weird that he's so oblivious to it, too. Like, come on, Oh, dude. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, the, his whole character's weird in so, this movie. You're like, this is the better one. And to me, I'm like, maybe I'm like all the other dorks on the world who kind of thinks that this movie isn't that great. But I, I have really... I think it's better. I think it's better, like, I think it's better than number two. Do you? I do. I kind of like the Venom stuff. Mm -hmm. Not as much as... 
I like Venom. Oh. Uh, the movie Venom. 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 Oh, that's that's yeah. a weird boner for me. Yeah, not for me. I just really like <laughs> it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it, there's a certain corniness to this entire movie, and I think there Sam Raimi was kind of forced into this movie, right? No, he wanted to do three. He even wanted to do four for a while. What was forced into the movie was Venom. Like he doesn't like the character, and I think it was Ari Avid. I could be wrong, but I think Ari Avid was the head of Marvel Studios at that time. And then I think after this, he sold the rights off and that's when to and marvel studios but he was told in no uncertain terms like venom has to go in this movie and i think that's why it feels mm, like a bit okay. stuffed and i think by that point he had kind of had it a little bit you know I mean, he basically spent a decade of his life making these three movies and when he talks about drag me to hell he talks about how although you have a ton of resources when you make a movie like spider-man you lose a lot of autonomy and you lose a lot of control and sometimes the best thing you can do is like basically do a small movie with a tight crew in your hands or in every single thing and it becomes very much your movie but these movies like unlike you know the marvel studio movies and they're fun movies they're i mean like there's some really good ones i enjoy them i'm not here to like rip on them but they're very much like a movie by committee like there's no authorship in like almost any of the Mm -hmm. movies after the first wave like you know they hire edgar wright to do ant-man and then don't want edgar wright to do what he does in his movies and they remove him right scott derrickson and c robert cargill you know are probably the only two people that ever made Doctor Strange interesting at all and they make that movie a massive success and then when they come back and say here's what we want to do for part two they're quickly removed from it because it doesn't fit the Marvel vision and ironically right. enough, ironically replaced by Sam Raimi um, <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. they're very much like yeah that's great you know, outside of um, the first Avengers movie where like Joss Whedon is very much makes a very quippy Joss Whedon movie yeah, I, I can't stand it yeah i can understand that like it feels like buffy the avengers slayers <laughs> i can't stand it sure i can't stand what he does to hawkeye mm-hmm. every turn he ruins hawkeye yeah. sorry does hawkeye do he's like the, he, yeah in the first avengers what is he he's a meat puppet yeah. and then he gets broken from the meat puppety thing and then he's yeah. like i'm gonna i'm gonna beat up stuff with my bow and arrow yeah. which is cool and all I, but it's a waste of a yeah. character and then i've never they give seen him a part, family. i've never seen age of ultron so yeah they give him a family dude yeah. he's not supposed to have a family Mm -hmm. i'm not even a comic nerd i just knew this He's not supposed to have a family, and then they ground mm-hmm. him by making him a family man. What a twist! Well, I think <laughs> and it ruins. I think the thing you just hit there is like I'm not even a comic nerd, and like the Marvel movies, like they don't feel like comic book movies. Like everything is no. so grounded in this weird kind of uber reality, and it's the same thing with like Nolan's, you know, The Dark Knight, which is a brilliant movie. Yeah, I love The Dark Knight, but you go from like Tim Burton. Tim Burton is another example. He was able to make his own movie with his own vision and his own aesthetic, and he describes like Gotham City is like basically he wanted hell to burst from the sidewalks of New York and create this really cramped landscape and like you look at that movie and it feels like vintage Tim Burton and he's given the keys to a kingdom and then you look at the Dark Knight and like Gotham City is just Chicago which yeah. it's not as interesting <laughs> you know it's not as interesting to me what I love about the Raimi Spider-Man movies is they're allowed to embrace their comic book roots 
twists. They're allowed to be a bit wacky. You know, you have amnesia as a major plot point in a movie, which, you know, <laughs> which is such a, like, what do we, we need something so Harry won't remember. Like, he'll, and that whole sequence is great. The sequence with Peter and Harry, like, fighting through these narrow streets. And that's, I know it's a yeah. lot of CGI pixels, but it's like this really animated, fast moving. Like, it feels like Sam Raimi. He was able to bring what he does to movies, what his t- touches are to these movies, especially that scene in Spider-Man 2. But even throughout this one, it feels like a Sam Raimi movie. It had that scene in particular uh, has a great velocity to mm-hmm. it, which is what Sam does with camera well. Well, Bill Pope, right? Mm-hmm. He's actually doing Shang-Chi. So yeah. we, we got to see what he does with digital cameras mm-hmm. now. I do like how this these movies look like film, but in progressively, they actually computer graphics wise yeah. get better looking look less and less rubber armature because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of scenes in the second one and the first one in particular but in the second one too in which everything looks way too rubbery yeah this one has a little bit like in, in the that scene that you're talking about where they're fighting the first but the amnesia thing pays off at the end i do appreciate that but i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some negative in here go ahead the characterization that peter parker or, or that old man toby mcguire that's what i call him because he looks like an old man but mm-hmm. a young boy at the same time <laughs> it's weird he's got a weird face to me so, like, you'd think that when Venom gets on the nerd, Venom being this magical creature that they don't really establish mm-hmm. too much, but you would think just by what they're doing with him being, like, the cool pianist guy, he's actually playing piano really well. So, like, Venom knows how to absorb stuff around him and actually do cool stuff. The piano part's cool. I have no problem with that. The bopping around the city, his moves... All of his moves, it's not even intended to be dorky and wrong. It's Toby not knowing how to dance and just not absorbing the dance moves. But that's the from the choreographer. No, no, no. It's oh not my beautiful. God, that's the beauty it's of that horrible. scene. No, 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 it's horrible. No, it's lovely. It's, because it's you, so bad it's good. Is that what you're saying? You see, it's not even that. I love how they lean in. Like, it is what Peter Parker, who is a perennial nerd, thinks what a cool person would do. No, do you know? it's yes. Venom doing it to him. No, it's Venom no. doing it to him. It's but not it's, him. But it's Venom, like, tapping into that part of Peter Parker. <laughs> it's, he's still in control of his actions. And what Venom is doing is kind of amplifying that part of the cerebral cortex so you're saying that peter parker has seen yes. all kinds of american pop culture as you and i have up until that point because that's what 2007 right or mm-hmm. something up until that point we've seen all kinds of breakdancing we've seen all <laughs> kinds of paula abdul stuff we've actually just memorized it without knowing that we've memorized it it's in our cerebral cortex as you mm-hmm. said somewhere back there in our memory and you're saying that peter parker has the wherewithal to control his body at the behest of Venom saying, no man, do it, you're cool, do it. <laughs> and not Venom actually controlling his body. Even though that's what's established later, that Venom does control his body mm-hmm. into all the fight scenes. See? No, it's not like that. It's 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 not upgrade. It's not Logan Marshall Green and upgrade where he has no control over himself. What Venom does is it, and I think even like Doctor Kurt Connors, who would go on to be if there was a fourth movie, the yeah, the lizard. 
says like it basically it amplifies feelings, especially aggression. I very much like, I mean, yes, we've all seen like Paula Abdul dance. And I think like even as like a nerdy junior high in high school, they're like probably busted out some of those moves. Like we were talking about off air, we were talking about my love of pro wrestling and like in the attitude era, like I owned 14 Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirts and would shave my head and had a goatee and win them as, as for Halloween and would do the DX crotch <laughs> chop. And I was not nearly as cool as I thought those guys were. Like, it would be embarrassing to go back and watch tape. And when you look at the start of that scene, when Peter Parker isn't, like, overly leaning into, he just feels good. And he's walking through the streets, and you see, like, it from his point of view, there are, like, some young women that walk by him, and they kind of, like, give him the, you know, they give him the eye bleep. You know, they're like, I'm into it. I'm into what this guy's throwing down right now but it's like well, he pulls his hair down in front of his eyes and Elby's like he looks so much better right and but, but right right to him but but is he as the not... scene progresses and I, what i love about the scene is the way it's scored it very much has like it feels a lot like bill conti's scores for the rocky movies outside of the main theme where they have like this real kind of like funk rhythm that runs throughout a lot of like the original rocky score and they, you know that I, was a a riff on the Spider-Man theme. Oh though, yeah, of right? course. I was just gonna say, okay. like, that's what it is. Like, but it feels like it's run through like the Bill Conti filter. Yeah. <laughs> and as the scene progresses, and as he starts like buying his own, as he starts thinking that his you know poop stinks, and he's like he's really the man. You see him make that same strut, but it's more exaggerated, and you get that same point of view. And now like everyone is giving him a glare, like who does this dude? Yeah think he actually is and i think like that's the beauty when he comes out of like the clothing shop and just breaks into like the saturday night fever dance like i love how the movie leans (laughs) into how nerdy and stupid that is i just think that you wouldn't see that in an iron man movie because like (laughs) robert downey jr would never know how to dance himself no but he He would never allow himself that kind of vulnerability to look i mean they did in this in the second movie they had him be drunk and stuff and make a fool of himself in that way but he still but it's just kind of like dancing that's that's robert Downey (laughs) jr showing up to (laughs) us you guys well i'm saying (laughs) this isn't acting either i'm saying toby mcguire can't dance well maybe toby and they covered it like all the the dances that toby has absorbed like throughout his growing up isn't exactly like paula abdul or like the really great fly girls or whatever his dancers are the saturday night fever dance and yes the carlton Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but like even the carlton is a good dance lb I mean, you can do when... the Carlton terribly, or you can do it well. And the Carlton, <laughs> the actor who plays Carlton, does it incredibly well. And he... then you can do it like everybody's uncle, which is badly. <laughs> which is how he's. Or doing you can it. do it like me, which is also well because I. I have as never a seen you, dork, Carlton. What are you talking about? I can go Carlton right now, Obi. I so as this a dork call is over. This is over the still... phone, so I cannot confirm or. <laughs> I am still a good dancer, and it's strange, but yeah, I was a little breakdance kid, so anyway, pop-locking yeah. and whatever. But, but yeah, I feel I like we're not here to talk about how he compares to the cast of fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> here, you know, like Peter Parker at his core is a nerd. And I think I'm there's just other saying. little moments, like the moment when like the kids are watching like Spider-Man on the Jumbotron, and oh, he's that's like, good. hey, they're going to show it again. And they're like, that yeah, we're good. We saw it. You know, <laughs> I good. love it, you know? Like, even when things are going really good for him, like, he's 
still is just like a half step out. And I love how that movie leans into it. And one of the things like I've come to really appreciate about Raimi is how he uses sound in movies. I would love to rewatch the original Evil Dead with just Joe LaDuca's score and the Foley effects and no dialogue. There's not a lot of dialogue in that movie anyway. And I think it would work incredibly well. Some of like the effects, the sound, the sound design in this movie, like the scene in the sewers with Spider-Man and Sandman is incredibly well done. It feels like if a comic book sprung to life out of your hands, like that's what a comic book would sound like to me. It allows for moments that really don't have an, like an extended scene with J. Jonah Jameson hearing pitches from Ted Raimi's character about a new logo mm-hmm. for the Daily Bugle and the buzzer coming in, the buzzing in that is like so, it's great how that design of like the buzzer coming in is. But this extended comedy bit for three minutes, all designed around J. Jonah Jameson just like taking a pill and trying to control his anger. Like it just feels <laughs> like this great little ludicrous moment that Raimi allows into the movie that has nothing to do with anything else. I think I like all of the J. Jonah yeah, stuff. I do, oh, I yeah, do he's, too. I mean, J.K. Simmons is so good in that role. Not just that, just like what you said. It's the writing, it's the direction, it's the allowance, mm-hmm. and then it's the performance. Yeah. And everybody think, works on it. You you even yeah. have you have Elizabeth Banks with her best look ever, I think. The dark yeah. hair and mm-hmm. her scowls, her little side eyes to him constantly. Yeah. The timing is all good. So He's shooting a 1950s screwball comedy. Not just that. He's shooting a tenement. He's a shooting a tenement drama yeah, like a stage New, play. Like a New York stage play where it's in a tenement yeah. building. Yeah. Like like something Barton Fink yeah would have written sure. yeah, yeah but about sandman <laughs> yeah that's yep. his story is like this super even farther back which actually um barton fink coen brothers coen brothers crime mm-hmm. wave crime wave sam raimi yep they all go hand in hand a lot so i think that might even be their influence on just like this really old oh, sure. timey story in this impoverished part of town the daughter mm-hmm. needs this treatment. He's a criminal. He's screwed up. He's out. He's trying to fix her. And then stupid, bonkers, dumb science fiction happens to him. Yeah. Which makes literally no sense. But there you go. It's, That's also again, the it's comic. The comic book. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. the comic book. It embraces like the comic book roots. It, it very much. And it's something that you're not going to get anymore. Like you couldn't do this movie after the Marvel movies. And I mean, look, you know, I actually, for whatever reason, enjoyed Zack Snyder's Justice League way more than I thought I would, mm-hmm. because I think he fundamentally misunderstands the characters of Superman <laughs> in particular and Batman. He writes Batman like the way a 12 year old who just got into like new metal uh-huh. like that's what he no. thinks is cool about yeah. Batman no. and, he, and he fundamentally misunderstands what soup, what people love about Superman mm. but his Justice League is okay but his movies like are so dour yeah. they're devoid of color they're devoid of hope even like when Justice League ends on like this kind of happy note he has to like have this like epilogue thrown in where you know wait 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 you forgot an f bomb you forgot it's the worst of all time periods now yes okay now you can go I don't, I mean, like, I don't need that, you know? I don't, give me something that's, like, 
winking at the audience and letting them in on it. Give me something that can humanize its villains yeah. in a way. Like I think that Raimi does that in all three of his Spider-Man movies, with the exception of like Eddie Brock and Venom. And again, I just think that's because like he doesn't care about that character yeah. at all. And I think it really, As it really such, shows. I think that uh, um, the the foil to Peter Parker. I think that's kind of fun. And I think as mm-hmm. he's played, I, I don't think Topher Grace, I don't think he's playing it like whatever. I, I just came off of the seventies show, that seventies show. I don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. I just came off of that show. And now I'm a big star. No, no. I think he's actually got a dog in the hunt and he tries to I, play I it agree. like that, you know? And Sam oh, yeah, might've been like begrudgingly, but we don't, I, I, do we have footage of Sam? directing this film he's talked a lot on the record about how hard this movie was to make it's no secret like how difficult spider-man 3 was for him to make basically because of like a lot of the studio interference and then i think like his ideas for spider-man 4 they were like eh, we don't want to go in this direction and he was like you know what i'm done making big movies like this so now i'm gonna do like a sequel to the wizard of oz and that's gonna be the last (laughs) thing i that's gonna be the last thing i direct for eight years um which i haven't seen either so i have not seen it i have not seen that movie again getting back to like the i do think topher grace he's not given a lot but he does the most he possibly can with what he's given so i think topher grace is actually probably a little bit more talented than we give him credit for yeah Yeah. um and he's pretty good at this i will say like what i love about what toby mcguire does in this movie when he has to like basically act like an out and out nerd and he's very much in on the joke he has the same talent that i think bruce campbell has you rewatch evil dead 2 in the first 37 minutes of that movie bruce campbell is pretty much on his own like there's really no one else in that movie and he has to act against himself and it's a really hard thing to do and i think more talented actors would not be able to do it but campbell can kind of lean into that and give a hell of a performance and i I think the same thing here with toby mcguire he has to act like he's kind of like christopher reeve in superman 3 <laughs> when, Super, yeah. when superman breaks bad yeah but he it's way more successful in this movie than superman 3 is i do love that the last shot of because at, at the end of the day spider-man is not just about like super heroics but it is fundamentally about interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. in a way and that was like stan lee's greatest gift as a writer was unlike like DC where everything was really cosmic and huge stakes and their characters are more like gods the poor Marvel characters when he was writing them were very human and had very human problems and I love that the last shot of this movie is just Peter and Mary Jane re-embracing one another and just slow dancing and then it doesn't cut to like Spider-Man running to the rooftops and yelling wahoo <laughs> and doing flippity flips LB, it's just a very human mm-hmm. moment. Was your comment is that it? I think your comment was is that it like <laughs> that's it? the end of the movie yeah i think I you were remember. unimpressed um, <laughs> and i think that's okay too you know i think that's okay too but i mean i think like we're conditioned where every superhero movie has to have that like the superhero running in slow motion <laughs> right. towards the camera i mean that was established American, early on like, right like with superman yeah. taking off his you know like oh yeah there's another thing i hear and then he runs off oh yeah you know there's that like the first spider-man movie ends literally with him doing like 30 minutes of flips and then he lands on an an american flag and it's like (laughs) usa you over and over oh right right and then he like yes and then i'll be laughing literally 
spin kicks Al-Qaeda in the face. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. so it was 2002. Right. Here's another prompt. I'm going to throw it to LB real quick. Mm-hmm. You can pick it up, and you should, because LB, your thoughts on Mary Jane. Mary Jane. I don't really get why she's... It's it's the Ramona Flowers problem, I think, where I, I don't really uh, understand why, why all the dudes are into her because she doesn't seem like she's that interesting. I mean, sure, she's pretty. Mm-hmm. She's she's girl next door pretty, but like I don't really okay. She acts, she can sing a bit, okay, cool. But like it's I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like what's so attractive about Mary Jane that like some like like three dudes are in love with her and fighting over her? I agree. I think that like the way they characterize Mary Jane in these movies, it leaves a little to be desired. Yeah, um, I think it might be one of the flaws of Raimi as a writer is he doesn't have a lot of strong female characters. In any of his movies, even Drag Me to Hell, where you have Allison Lohman as the main yeah, character I don't, of Christine. I don't like her character. I don't like she, how she's written. She's completely mm-hmm. milk toast. Like as is Justin Long. Like if Justin Long and, and Allison Lohman were like a beverage, they would be like two percent white milk. <laughs> you know that would be pretty much skim. it in that movie. I don't think he does. They might even be right. They might even be skim. <laughs> well, I think maybe two percent because the grave, the scene in the grave is pretty badass. That's pretty in the fight in the car. So <laughs> okay, okay. But I think that. Like Mary Jane's character in all three Spider-Man movies is basically she is the shiny object that must get kidnapped right. at the end of a movie for Spider. That's the only role that she really even worse, dude. Fulfills. She's a bit she's a bit over demanding mm. in dialogue in various scenes against Peter. She's very like, mm. but what about me? Like that a lot. See, I love that. I don't know. I it's someone that does some couples counseling ah. um, for people. I kind of love that because what I see happen here is like Peter has made every and he does this thing that I hate when someone is telling you their problems the one of the worst things you can do trust me on this folks I've gone to grad school for it (laughs) one of the worst things you can do when someone is telling you their problems is say well other people have it worse That should warrant you like a roundhouse yeah. to the face. What? And so he never says like, you know, I'm really sorry you're going through this. It must be terrible. I'm not going to give you advice. I'm just here to listen to you. Because that's what you should say right. to someone in that case. But what he does is he makes it about yeah. Spider-Man. It's very much like, you know, that Brady Bunch scene, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like very much at that moment, that's what Mary Jane is having her Marsha, Marsha, Marsha mm-hmm. moment. Because like she's gone through a lot. Like, you know, she's finally starring in a Broadway play and she's promptly fired yeah okay so but here's some bad writing here's some bad writing she could easily at any time say i was let go they let me go they didn't like me at any point with peter and she doesn't i think she gets so fed up with him not listening to her yeah i get that but i mean have you ever not been frustrated with (laughs) someone and then (laughs) they like don't and you're like you know what it's not me worth even telling you oh no 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 because you're gonna make it about you there's uh there's plenty of times trust trust me no and andrew has no problems Uh, no no i no lb lb i have problems but i find there to be a need yeah you know what i mean okay i find there to be a need but sure. but I do actually, you remember that whole thing that happened in December, I think it was, where I was biting my tongue the whole time, and finally, I said it, and it needed to be said. However, not a fun thing for me to do. It was not even like, I'm eager But you to were saying it. I was biting my tongue the whole time. Right. And I think there's a point where, and especially if your boyfriend is Spider-Man, <laughs> you know, and she's sitting there, she's building up to tell him that she's been let go from the play. She's looking at him, and he's looking at the police scanner, you know, and he looks at her, he's like, go get 
Adam Tiger. Like all he wants to do, he doesn't want to hear right. about her problems. He wants, and that's why, like when they have the scene where she, what fake, you're saying is true. When she fake dumps him, what works about that scene is she tells him the truth. Like you're not mm-hmm. there for me. You don't listen to me. Like we've grown apart. Like all of those things are very true. And I think that's why I think it works. You know, and so I think especially because I, I like all three of these movies, and you see how that relationship evolves throughout. Like in the end of the first movie, which I know you said you haven't seen like she reveals she has feelings for him and he she doesn't know he's spider-man yet and he walks away from her because he's too scared about her ever falling mm. into harm and I, I i don't know so i to me it really works like by this point you see like a peter parker that's buying his own hype and the dangers of doing that well one of the things i really 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 like about the third movie is you touched on this for a second before but like humanizing the villain mm-hmm. so thomas hayden church is Sandman is in a predicament in which, you know, he's he's basically like the biblical thief who steals to feed his family instead of you know mm-hmm. so it's like out of necessity and like in, in that situation you can't necessarily blame a person but spider-man 2 the feeling i got from it was just a bunch of people acting selfish towards each other and sure so that's that's why i was like i i just i don't really like the second one very much and i know that, that it's the one that people mm-hmm. really think is the best and or the best marvel movie the best comic movie ever made or whatever but that's fine i just found it to be like really abrasive and selfish so the mm-hmm. third one comes along and there's a lot of that same selfishness especially when peter thinks that sandman has murdered his uncle like in cold blood basically so there's this revenge thing that kicks in too so it's like peter just like not thinking clearly he's just making assumptions and going on those assumptions and that leads him into this like just horrible spiral of you know just trying to be destructive Mm -hmm. but when he finds out that sandman accidentally killed his uncle you know when he he realizes that this guy has a story has his own story and his own like problem and things that he's having to deal with that are you know it's a lot deeper than just being a bad guy and so you see how peter changes and understands fully that everything's not just black and white all the time so i really appreciate Mm -hmm. that about the movie you know like so i I sort of again like with toy story where i was just mad through the whole thing and then at the end i was like well okay they fixed it (laughs) like the same kind of thing i was just mad through the whole movie and then okay they fixed it so i I guess that's really all i was gonna say yeah i really like that moment at the end i really like that take where like peter parker is able to forgive Mm -hmm. flint marco in that moment and it's really hard to forgive people sometimes yeah we see it online every day where we publicly flagellate people for any infraction and there's nothing they can say that will ever earn forgiveness you know there's no apology that can be accepted because everybody has to demonstrably prove how angry they are about everything to show they're the most mad when you're able to forgive someone it is a tremendous weight that is lifted off your back it's almost like taking a satchel and filling it with like softball sized rocks and carrying that weight around with you for Mm -hmm. as long as you do and then removing it when you're able to forgive 
to someone. And it's a wonderful moment, I think, for both. Because you, to your point, you're right. Like, all Flint Marco was trying to do was, like, his daughter was dying. Yeah. Even his ex-wife, when she sees him, she's like, well, at least when you're in prison, you have a roof over your head that's yeah. not going to go anywhere, and you're guaranteed three meals a day. Which is a really, yeah. that's a, that's a mm-hmm. gut-wrenching moment right there. Where, like, prison is a better alternative to what that woman and that young girl have to kind of go through. Like, that that's is That's the moment heartbreak. where I said it was very much um, like a like a serious play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. The, uh, my favorite stuff is uh, Thomas Hayden Church's thing. In fact, how he looks in this mm-hmm. is comic accurate. And it gets silly with him getting bigger and bigger and turning into the mummy, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> how the mummy sandstorm yeah. was. Kind of doing that. And I don't recall that being too much in the comic, but I was never into the comics. So mm-hmm. I've only seen some pages, not full books or anything. But yeah. in my research of comic styles and stuff, I do come across the... I like the older stuff from the 70s, which mm-hmm. is where he came from, right? Or was he in the 60s? He's yeah. 70s, right? Yep, 60s and 70s, Pretty I think, solid yeah. artwork styles back then, so... Oh, yeah. Steve Ditko and John Ramada Sr.'s art on the Spider-Man. I mean, it's a reason why they're considered legendary. Yeah, absolutely. and so that's translated perfectly. And I do like Harry, is that his name? He comes back and teams up with yep. them at the end. I mean, you always want to see the reconciliation stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Even when it's James Franco. Yeah. Well, I, speaking of you know, forgiveness. Like, there. <laughs> mm-hmm, that's true. That's true. The the fights with Peter and Harry, I think, carry a lot more weight than your typical comic book yeah. like slugfest because there's like this shared history over the course yeah. of like three movies, and there was a real friendship between them. And you know, when Peter taunts Harry, like your you know your father didn't love you, like you were a joke to your dad. Like in the first movie, like very much like Willem Dafoe's um, Norman Osborn. Very much would have preferred Peter Parker for a son, and Harry was kind of treated as, like, I gotta bail you out again. So those words, like, carried some weight. They really stung, whereas, like, you watch, like, the Avengers Infinity War, and Thanos snaps his fingers, and half the universe disappears. Kind of a shrug. It's like, yeah, dude, you you know, you've already announced the next Spider-Man movie. Like, I know they're coming back, you know? Like, so there's not a lot of weight. Like, there's a weightlessness to those movies. That's that's oddly meta think, though right yeah. in that you're like looking at the papers and or the advertisements or the upcoming schedules and that's you're kind of spoiling of not you just in general we're kind of spoiling it for ourselves when we see that but mm-hmm. i think there needs to be in that regard time between projects and we need to stop paying attention to what projects are being made like in the 80s when we didn't know what was coming out until it came out yeah i think the cat's out of the bag on that though i think that's just really hard to do it it would take why are an we enormous, so obsessed with knowing it would about take an what's enormous being amount made. of discipline we can't get enough when it's here mm-hmm. so when it's not here we have to use I, yeah. the not here parts as also entertainment like every little bit of word that comes out on the uh, industry papers variety or whoever about what's being made we have to treat that also as entertainment it's it's not and it's none of our business unless you work in it it's nobody's business you know what I mean? It's you know, it's all marketing. It's all because there are so many forms of entertainment that are like vying for your eyeballs at this point. Um, that there's just an oversaturation of everything because if you're not in front of somebody, then there's going to be seven thousand other shiny baubles that are, and it's a matter of like trying to get yourself in front of as many people as often as possible so you don't. You know, I do think maybe one of the best things that's going to you know because of 
of one of the good things to come out of the past years because there hasn't been this deluge of mm-hmm. movies that have been out that things have had maybe a little bit more yes. of a chance to breathe a little bit and when they do hit there'll be that much more excitement and I, I think I do agree with you Andrew I know that like I make a conscious effort to do a lot less reading about behind the scenes things and even like I think there was something where I forget what movie it was for but it was like they were gonna like show a, a trailer or a poster and, and instead of clicking on it I'm like I'd rather just there's a Conjuring 3 I haven't watched the trailer I'm like you know what comes out June in just, June I think I would wait. rather yeah. just be surprised pleasantly yeah. surprised by the movie than like get the big scares right. Mortal know, Kombat Mortal Kombat they put out first 10 minutes why why mm-hmm. why don't that's I think that's been done yeah before, it has like, but that's I'm, not a it's, new it's thing it's not but why do it why do it it's Mortal Kombat it's got a built in audience yeah be great if the first 10 minutes were just credits (laughs) like super you know it was like a slow build to the movie and it's like like the superman movie you know or or like an overture from (laughs) 2001 (laughs) that would be or it's like we're going to show you the last 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes are just the end credits like that would be you know i purposely like avoided as much as possible from like godzilla versus kong when it was coming out because i just wanted to enjoy that movie Mm -hmm. which i really did and i think like not i mean all i really want was like give you know someone's like why would you want 90 minutes of kaiju monsters just fighting on an island i'm like that's the movie i want why wouldn't you want that exactly I don't want Millie Bobby Brown no. telling no. me, you know, hacking hacking computers. Like, oh my God, the 16-year-old's like a world-class hacker that can get it to, oh, like, sure. government hey, facilities. Like, it's slightly the future, sir. Less. It's yeah. slightly the future, <laughs> so I will it's be, believable. I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, I work with eighth-grade kids. We're lucky they can tie their shoes, <laughs> all right? Let alone being able to, like, hack into, like, triple-secret government agencies. Like, they spill a Coke at the keyboard and all of a sudden and they control this giant like oh, but look now you're getting that... now you're getting to the peter parker thing again the characterization he is that guy though that was able to do all the super science and stuff he spilled a soda <laughs> but the thing with peter parker is it's earned like there's a sh- there's a character history there like there's no no one cares about the humans in kong versus god <laughs> unless the people are there to be eaten like in that game rampage where like if millie bobby brown's character and child candler's character like look Godzilla and the next thing that happened is like Godzilla picked them up bit them in half and then swallowed them then I'm like you know what Oscar (laughs) nominate them best picture like greatest movie ever yes more monsters eating children please oh my god I love when monsters you know creep show on shutters our current like family watch every Friday night that's what we are takeout night we watch the new episode of creep show and my wife turned to me and she's like this is like really violent for a kid's show. And I'm like, honey, this is not children's. She's like, but if there's comic book stuff, I'm like, yes, that's the gimmick. So God... Lover, uh, I'm like, honey, this is not a god lover. That's cute. You know, it really. Is. <laughs> so I think Spider-Man Three. All right, so Venom. Let's talk about the Venom. Yeah, Venom. Sure. You're like Sam Raimi's not a proponent of Venom, but are you? I'm not. You know, I, I was just talking about this with the co-host of my of my other show with Lindsay, who loves Venom. It's her second favorite villain behind the Joker, and they don't call Lindsay the Bat Bitch for nothing. Like she knows everything <laughs> Batman. She's a she is a Bat Cyclopedia when it comes to that character's universe. I just, I I like him more than Carnage, but I'm not a huge fan of that 
character in general. But in this film. <laughs> no, I I think I think it he makes it a little bit overstuffed. I think you could have gotten to the same place with Peter Parker's character just based on the natural trajectory he was on for what you saw before he gets infected by the symbiote. So I don't think you necessarily needed that. I felt really did feel shoehorned in. And I think you could have gotten to the same place in this movie without that as a character. But if you remove Venom, you don't get the cool Charlotte's Web part. <laughs> right. True. Yeah, that's true. I really, really you know. wrote whatever it was in yeah. that web, and I really wanted it to say some pig. Yeah, some pig. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, the character doesn't really do it for me. I think the one part, again, when it comes to the sound design, like the way Venom is defeated, I really like, I love the audio design of that. That's one of Raimi's greatest strengths as a director, is he really gets sound design, and I think it's really well done there. That's about it, though. Like, for the most part, I'm just not a Venom proponent, so you could have taken him out and, I think, maybe had, like, a tighter movie. Like, it wouldn't have to have been two hours and 20 minutes at that point. You could have maybe gotten in and out, like, in an hour 45, and I would have been much happier. So this movie seems to have set the precedent for the following Spider-Man movies to be packed full of multiple villains. Well, I think the first Andrew Garfield was less multiple villains, but like the second one was more and more and more and more. The third one was the second yeah gonna be the second one, Everybody. it's less about what Raimi did. The second one definitely was trying to follow the Marvel Universe trajectory where it's like, we're going to have these individual movies and then we're going to build to like the Sinister Six. Like that was, I rewatched like the for the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one with Andrew Garfield, and it was better than I remembered it to be. I cannot finish the second movie. Mm. Like it is awful. It too suffers and, from a lot of over cartooniness. So yeah, it's that and Andrew Garfield is kind of like mid-2000s emo Spider-Man is not what I want in my Spider-Man. I I don't remember him being emo. I remember Toby being emo. But oh, not even Toby's emo. Not, emo. not even emo, though. The thing is, he should be, like, rock and roll and whatever, and it's not. Uh-huh. It's not. All right. When I say Andrew Garfield is emo, I mean it, like, when people, like, say, like, Taking Back Sunday is emo, and I'm like, I'm, when I talk emo, I'm talking, like, Rites of Spring and Jog Okay, and thank you. Good. Crimpshine and, like, the East Bay scene out of, like, Oakland and San mm-hmm. Francisco in the late 80s, early yes. 90s. Like, what passes for emo? Like, someone says Bad Bunny is <laughs> Emo. No, like, Bad Bunny is hip hop. Like that's not. Yeah, that's not emo. Like no, like that word no longer. Wait, because he wears jinkos or what? any meaning? Maybe because he's emotional know. when he raps. Oh, oh. and he's phenomenal. I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong. All but, the like, ladies in the office love but, Bad Bunny. Dude, he did a Canadian destroyer at WrestleMania. <laughs> it was really? outstanding. It was amazing. Like jumping from the top of a ring post and doing a hurricane rana outside of the ring. Like I will never say a bad word about him but I won't say he's <laughs> you know so it's to me like Andrew Garfield he's like smarmy Spider-Man like he's like what Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man wants to be in Spider-Man 3 like he is actually in the first movie he does have some great quips yep. um, I do like Tom Holland's take on Spider-Man yep, that's I the most really pure enjoyable. I think because he I starts say, yeah, as a I, teenager yeah. that's really what yes. why that's really why yeah because you're right because in the first Spider-Man movie like he graduates high school and he's in college 
college. You never get high school Spider Man. Yeah. Which is where you want the innocent, pure kid and all that, and that's what you get with Tom. Yeah. But mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't you get that with third so- Spider Man. You never like, got that with Tobey Maguire. They're though. gonna smash bits. Yeah, you're gonna absolutely get like Oh gosh. Spider Man and MJ are gonna consummate in Spider in the next Spider Man movie. Or or, uh, or will they? It's because gonna it's be. gonna be a Spider Verse movie and Toby's gonna show up and he's probably gonna try to <sighs> Mac on her. I'm excited for that. I am super excited to see what they do with like and Alfred Molina is coming back yeah. as Dr. Octopus and did you not like Doc Ock? I know you said you like that movie made you angry but did you not like the performance um, of no, Doc No, I thought Ock it was or? fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have any problems with Doc Ock at all. Okay. So. I'm definitely excited for the next Spider-Man movie. Like I'm definitely yeah. I would probably watch the trailer. I don't even it. like <laughs> Spider-Man. See, that's the thing. Like I've never had a connection to Spider-Man like whatsoever. Like I've never mm-hmm. been in interested in like it just i don't i don't like to be this way but like it's just always like oh that's boy stuff you know Uh i admittedly have dismissed spider-man for like my entire life so i've never seen any spider-man movie whatsoever so until the venom uh, (laughs) until the yeah until the mcu tom holland's and the venom movie i really really i really love venom okay i do i really do a lot but into the spider-verse is phenomenal and like it actually has made me interested in spider-man because of the possibilities Mm -hmm. the endless possibilities possibilities of what spider-man can be and, and yeah. when maybe, you say maybe I can best animated film <laughs> yes the best oh animated film ever made is spider-man yeah possibly that and my only issue with into the spider-verse and this is a very weird me thing i hate how it kills the peter parker prime but other than that like it's i don't know i have a weird thing about this is very much a me thing but like to me like clark kent is superman bruce wayne is batman peter parker and miles morales are spider-man like diana knight is wonder woman like those are like my i am very like so and so is gonna replace bruce wayne as batman for this arc and it's a whole (laughs) new chapter in dc it's like dude you know you're gonna bring back bruce wayne before the new movie comes out and like no like it's if there's specific ties to him you know so i very much don't like when they do the swap but i think like i've come way around in miles morales and think he's very much a spider-man too so to your point lb you're right like it doesn't just have to be peter parker it can be like gwen stacy in a universe and spider ham in a universe and i like yeah that's a phenomenal movie yeah so is there anything more to praise about spider-man 3 also is it just the three the link between the two of these titles is it just the number three what do you mean toy story 3 spider-man 3 oh yeah that was it that was really it it was the, like, that, three, that it is was like three. number threes i'm clapping you get a round of applause for having the weakest mm-hmm. link between the two titles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Take that a bow, is, sir. We, that is hurt. No, 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 no. no, no, no. It's we the like most it. tentative leak. We like it's it. Not, it's not an insult. I'm actually clapping because you're, you're the first mm-hmm. to have literally the one that it's just the title and the three in it. <laughs> well, I also just think like they are the inverse in terms of how much one is praised, which is how much one is kind of looked oh, okay. down upon. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. So, you got you got closer there, sir. Yeah. To me, the the last thing I'll say is like what I really appreciate about all three of Raimi's Spider-Man movies is he's very much an auteur that was able to take his vision to these movies despite them costing like hundreds of millions of dollars. He was still able to have a relative amount of creative control, especially on the first two movies, able to do so in such a way that I don't think you really get to see on a lot of these like block buster mm-hmm. movies now and he was able to embrace like the roots of what made spider-man great and what made comic books great when they are aimed at kids because i don't think comic books are really aimed for kids anymore like when an issue of a comic costs six dollars for a 20 page issue right that that's thing is no kids. longer right. marketed no yeah for kids anymore like that's ridiculous yep. you know when the joker is cutting off his face texas chainsaw <laughs> massacre style like that is no longer a market that is aimed for children <laughs> yep and i think we've lost something I, I really think that like that's kind of a bummer because to me comic books are the closest thing that we have to a sort of mythology as Americans. Mm. Right. Again, old man yelling <laughs> in the crowd. Well, I think we are done. Thank you for joining us. And I'm talking this way for no good reason. Thank you for joining okay. us, Mike. Yes. We appreciate you here. Thank you. It is a pleasure to speak with you both. You're both lovely <laughs> humans, and I am so glad. <laughs> I've gotten to know you both a little bit and can't wait to have you on for our next like yeah. script reading and to join us as guests in our in, in my neck of the woods Yay. too so hopefully when this is all done a bunch of us from this hemisphere just get together find a random cabin in the woods and like <laughs> just party for That'd a week great. so yeah <laughs> i don't know cabin in the woods though <laughs> well not a haunted cabin okay i'd say a lake but that's really no better when it comes to the kind of movies i watch <laughs> all right well thank you very yes, much thank you thank you so how about that, Elby? Yeah, that was a good time. I really started out just angry at this episode or, or the prospects Prospect. of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, okay, look. Wait, he, he said those two titles, Toy Story 3 and Spider-Man 3, and from the get-go uh-huh. in my head, offline, I was looking at them and was like, is it just three? And it turns out, yes, it's just the number three, <laughs> yeah. which is, this is just a reiteration. But I'm all for the tentative link that doesn't really link. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see how creative the guest can get in justifying the two titles. So that's why I'm cool with it. But yeah, I did not. Going into Grumpire, the podcast, I never expected somebody wanting to talk about a Pixar movie and a tentpole superhero movie. <laughs> right, Ever. Right. I figured we'd get a bunch of snobs like us. <laughs> well, these movies, I had really sworn off the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies because like, I just, first of all, I'm just not interested in Spider-Man ever. And then I really just don't care about superhero movies especially like during that time where like they weren't as I guess aggressively popular (laughs) I just thought it was like really a lot of throwaway junk right so I was really just not excited to watch either of these movies honestly but I'm glad I did though because I can see that they have some redeeming qualities now but yeah the things we do for the show and they usually end up turning out all right (laughs) yeah you know maybe that's a learning process for us because like we're like super grumpy about movies anyway in general 
people are like, yeah. ugh, why does everybody like this crap? But like, yeah. you know, once you watch it, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe not. So uh, how can we find old Snoonian? Oh, you should go to Twitter. It's Mike underscore Snoonian. And Snoonian is S-N-O-O-N-I-A-N. So Mike underscore Snoonian. There's Pod and the Pendulum, uh, which is a very active Twitter account. It's at Pod and Pendulum. Okay. Any of the other ones? He's, he's got another podcast, um, right? And then Psychoanalysis, uh, you can follow them on Twitter as well. It's at Psycho A Pod. Psycho A Pod. So I've been on that show before. Well, you know, we've been on Pod and the Pendulum. Yeah, um, we did this together. Halloween thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right, 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 right. All right. We're done? <laughs> we're done. Okay. Good night. Good night. <laughs>